0: In 2008, Pew Research poll discovered in a nationwide survey that 59% of Americans believe in hell. Now, quite frankly, I think that number may be a little high. I'm not sure that 59% of Americans believe in hell, at least the hell that we find described in the Bible. Perhaps some other kind of hell, some other type of hell, they may believe in that. But believing in the hell that we see revealed in the pages of Scripture and that we're going to look at this Sunday and next, I'm not sure that they grasp that. And and the reason that I'm a little suspicious about that poll is because it also discovered that 21% of atheists claim to believe in God. That's a little odd, isn't it? So that just goes to show you don't trust every poll that you read. But what was interesting and what I think we see in every poll that is done when questions like this are asked, do you believe in hell, do you believe in heaven, is that there is a great discrepancy between those who say they believe in heaven and those who say they believe in hell. 20, 30, even 40 percentage points difference between those who say, yes, I believe in heaven, and those who say, yes, I believe in hell. Now, why is that? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Number one, we don't want to believe in hell. We would prefer to think that there is a positive outcome for everybody with the exception of people like Hitler. Everybody else, we think, ought to be able to squeeze in. And the other aspect of it is that there have been people who've been turned off. And it's not necessarily the fault of the church, but... I do remember some of the things that I've been taught. And it seemed that they were basically, pardon the expression, trying to scare the hell out of me rather than trying to call me to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But whatever the reason, there is this discrepancy, this concept of of whether hell exists or not. Now, we've spent the last month focusing on heaven on the glories of heaven, the reality of heaven. This week and next, we're going to be focusing on the reality of hell and, quite frankly, the horrors of it. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, I'm glad you told me so I won't show up next week. But I want to tell you, we ignore this to our own detriment and to the detriment of the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. If it weren't important, God would not have seen fit to tell us, nor would Jesus have mentioned it so often. Now, we're not going to go talk about people burning up and smelling charred things. We're not going to talk about that today. But we do want to consider that thing that makes us uncomfortable because God saw fit to speak to us about it. Now, our images of hell, they've been shaped by a lot of things. They've been shaped by, by Scripture, obviously. They've been, been shaped. Here's a, here's a couple of uh, images here on the screen. One image over here on the right is one of the etchings from the book Dante's Inferno. Uh, back in the Middle Ages, that really shaped a lot of thinking about what hell was in his classic work. And over here on the left, you see some more contemporary images of what hell might be like. And believe me, our images of hell are shaped by these things. It's not just what Scripture says. It's by all these other influences that have come into our minds and into our lives that have given us this concept of what hell is all about. Now, we may touch on a few of these extra-biblical sources this week and next, but we want to spend most of our time focusing on what God's Word has said about it and specifically, specifically what Jesus has said about it. One of the things that got me really uh, intrigued was a book by a guy named Rob Bell. Rob Bell is founding pastor of Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a very powerful speaker. He connects a lot with young adults, seekers, and young believers. I've heard him speak at a conference, and quite frankly, he's very captivating, very inspiring, very thought-provoking. And his podcast, that is, podcast or, or internet, you can go on the internet and pick up the sermon. We, we do the same thing. His podcast, unlike mine, are listened to thousands of times each week. And so he's obviously very, very well known. Well, he wrote a book entitled Love Wins. A book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Okay, this book caused a firestorm In Christian circles. As a matter of fact, there was a Time magazine story that was based on this particular book and the views expressed in this book. Now, what in the world could be so disturbing about a book called Love Wins? Well, basically, it's this. Rob Bell's premise is that no human being in the end is going to miss out on heaven. That is, that basically there will be a hell of some description and that people will go there but they won't have to stay there as a matter of fact if you remember in our discussion of revelation 21 22 last week we talked about the the gates always being open and rob bell's thinking is that the reason the gates are open is that people who are in hell will finally repent come to believe in jesus And be able to go into those gates that remain open. And that's the reason, or at least one of the reasons, that those gates are left open. Now, as you go through and read the book, the first thing in your mind is, boy, I'd sure love to believe this. These people that I know who've died and who had no belief in Jesus Christ, and yet I loved them and respected them, that somehow, in the end, they'd all bow their knee to Christ and say, okay, I admit I was wrong, and I repent, I turn away from all that, and I want to come in, and at some point in the future, they have an opportunity to get in. The problem is, the problem is, I believe Rob Bell is dead wrong. As much as I respect his preaching and admire his teaching, and he founded a great church, Mars Hill, that has had a lot of other campuses all over the country, as much as I respect and admire This man and all that he has done, I believe that he's dead wrong. And quite frankly, this is not a subject about which we can be wrong. Consider the words that are spoken again in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in these books. The sea gave up their dead that were in in it, and, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Folks, that is why we cannot ignore this. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, this is not a debate over minute aspects of theology or church doctrine. We're dealing with the eternal destinies of real men, women, and children. If hell exists and it is a place of eternal punishment, we cannot afford to ignore it. N.T. Wright, who is a renowned biblical scholar, wrote in a book called Surprised by Hope God is utterly committed to set the world right in the end. This doctrine, like that of the resurrection itself, is held firmly in place by the belief in God as creator on the one side and the belief in his goodness on the other side. And that setting right must necessarily involve the elimination of all that distorts God's good and lovely creation and in particular all of that that defaces his image-bearing human creatures. In other words, what Wright is saying is that when we profess our belief in the God found in scripture, that he is a God who has promised to balance the scales, to set things right. And so the question we've got to wrestle with to start with is, are we making a big deal out of something that's insignificant? I don't think so. Because Jesus himself talks about the reality of hell. In the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus uses a word that's translated hell, which is Gehenna. He uses that word 12 times in the New Testament. Now, because those are some of those passages overlap, it's not 12 separate times, but 12 times is recorded in the Gospels that Jesus uses that word. What is this This Gehenna, what is this this place that that is being referred to? Well, the term Gehenna itself means the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is later shortened to the Valley of Hinnom. It is a very real place that is located just south of Jerusalem. But how did a valley become associated with hell? Well, there's a history to that. I want to share with you three passages from the Old Testament that actually fit in very nicely with what we're looking at here. The first one, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. We begin with verse 1. Ahaz has, was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the kings, kings of Israel and also made cast idols For worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And sacrificed his sons in the fire. Following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Okay, notice this. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And those sacrifices were his sons. 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And then if we flip forward to Jeremiah 7, begin with verse 30. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it ever even enter my mind. This valley has a ghastly history. It was the place where both kings and common people went to sacrifice their sons and daughters to false gods. They burned their children. In hopes of appeasing a God who was truly no God at all, these people took their children and they sacrificed those precious lives in a fire to gods of many names, Moloch and others. But in truth, all false gods are simply masks for Satan. Himself. They offered their children, burned them, sacrificed them to no less than Satan himself, the father of lies. Now, it is pretty apparent though when we read what Jesus says that he is not saying that the punishment is to go to the valley. Okay, we want to understand this. And so let's look at exactly what Jesus has said. In 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 Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, we're not talking about a valley here. Jesus is actually using that word Gehenna, but he's giving it some other context. Matthew 23, Jesus speaks to the religious hypocrites, and he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And then in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, Jesus speaks of, the, of dealing with sin in a radical manner. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled, than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your hand causes it to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one hand than to, and with, uh, with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. Okay, in verse 8, he speaks of being thrown into an eternal fire. And in verse 9, he speaks being thrown into hell. These are parallelisms. These go beside each other. And so when Jesus is talking about this place called Gehenna, this place called hell, it doesn't sound much to me like he's talking about that their fate is going to be to go to the valley. It sounds to me he's talking about something that's much, much more extreme than that. What happens here? is that in the Jewish eyes, in the eyes of many Jews of Jesus' time, and the reality of Jesus' teaching, this place of ghastly horrors became another word for the horrors that awaited in the judgment. This place of unspeakable horrors became a metaphor For the eternal punishment, the eternal fire. Now, some of you have heard this, and I actually want to correct what is most likely a a false teaching. It doesn't negate anything in Scripture, but it has been out there a long time. I've read it actually in commentaries and in Bible dictionaries, I've heard it in sermons, I've heard it in pulpits, I've heard it in classrooms. At seminary, um, quite frankly, I have shared it from the pulpit myself, and I need to burst the bubble on this one. I'm talking about this concept of Gehenna as a garbage dump. How many of you have heard that, that, that Jesus was, there was this garbage dump? Okay, for those of you, let, let me share this with you because I think it's important. This, this idea is that Gehenna, this, this valley of Hinnom, was a place where garbage was dumped. And people would take their trash there because you had to get rid of it somehow, right? You didn't, have, you didn't have the folks that pulled up to your curb and took it away. You took your garbage someplace else. But also the corpses of dead animals would be cast into it. And, and even, even the dead, even the poor, that they would die and they'd be there. And that this, this, this garbage dump in order to consume the trash, was set on fire and there was an eternal fire. You know, it just kept going on and on. It was constantly ablaze there. It would be a place of smoke and darkness, a place of of gloom. A place where the bodies were burned. Dogs fought over scraps with their teeth gnashing on the bones. That would be a fitting image. For hell. Except that there's no evidence of that ever happening. Archaeologists have had many digs in the Valley of Hinnom looking for such a garbage dump. Because it would have been a great, it's a great story to communicate. But they can find no evidence at all that garbage was ever dumped there. That it was ever this kind of trash place. In fact, it's not until... 1200 A.D. that the story of Gehenna being a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fires never went out, it's not until 1200 A.D. in a writing by Rabbi David Kimi, it's not until then that we get this image that comes out, that we have any evidence of it. And this is what he says. He says, Gehenna is a repugnant place into which filth and cadavers are thrown And in which fires perpetually burn in order to consume the filth and bones, on which, by analogy, the judgment of the wicked is called Gehenna. This is the first evidence, 1,200 years after Jesus, that we have of this being referred. Now, I understand how things like this happen. A Bible scholar reads this from this Jewish rabbi and says, Man, this will preach. And so he uses it, and it gets carried on. Like the the concept of the, um, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement with a rope tied around his leg in case he gets struck down and has to be dragged out. There's no evidence of that. There's no proof of that. But it makes a great story. And so as we're thinking about this, we're going, Oh, man, now Jimmy burst the bubble. I've told people that, and I, you know, because it really reflects the horrors of hell. But I, and it is a fitting image. But I want to tell you the image that was in Jesus' mind and in the minds of those who heard what he said. What happened in the valley of Hinnom as kings and common people sacrificed, burned their sons and daughters to false gods, to Satan himself. Is that not enough to give us a horrid image of what hell might be like? Jesus doesn't say, be careful. You don't want to end up in the valley be careful you don't want to end up in the garbage dump as a matter of fact if you go back and substitute garbage dump for it or substitute the valley of Ben Ben Hinnom these things don't make sense anymore it is only when we understand that this valley was a metaphor for what would later come just like the term Armageddon which is a real valley, the valley of Megiddo, has become a term itself to mean something far greater than the valley. That's what this Gehenna, this hell is. Jesus was speaking of a fiery judgment to come for all those whose names were not found in the book of life. For those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ. A valley that was used to slaughter innocent children is but a taste of the horrors that await those who are outside of Christ. Now, today is the foundation, laying the foundation. Next week, we're going to take a closer look at some of the descriptions that we have of this place of fiery judgment. It won't be pretty, but it is my my firm belief if God would just allow every Christian to have five seconds to glance into the glories of heaven and five seconds to gaze into the horrors of hell, if we could simply see What awaited it? We would be set on fire with an evangelistic fervor to share Jesus with everyone we knew because we would not want them to face an eternity separated from God in a place like hell, but we would want them to have life eternal in the presence of the everlasting God with their tears wiped away. Their pains and their sorrows, gone. A place of eternal joy. Worship. Serving. And reigning with Him. You need to understand as pastor. I am not a guy who preaches hellfire and brimstone sermons. You know that. But I'm also not a guy who's going to sugarcoat the truth. It is what it is. A few questions to ponder. I've written them there in your handout. I hope that you'll take a look at those this week and ponder those as we prepare ourselves for next Sunday. Would Jesus make empty threats? If there were no such place as hell, would Jesus threaten it? Would he say it exists? Would Jesus speak of a place of fiery judgment that that does not exist at all? If such a place does exist, do we dare ignore it when the price is so high for those who are apart from Christ? And do you dare ignore it this morning if your own soul hangs on the balance?